Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. It is Garen and Jordan. We get to talk about Garen's message from uh, April 30th, talking about another name of God, not that he is a jealous God. No, but he is zealous. But he is zealous with a Z, Yahweh Kana. Yeah, Kana. 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 Yahweh Kana. And uh, you kind of tore down some of our view of this a little, at least for me, like I grew up and there's that verse where God says, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly, right? I am a jealous God. Yes. And everybody's question is like, well, how could that be? Because jealousy is bad. And so how it was explained to me is that it was a good jealousy. Um, that when God says that, it's like if your wife was jealous because you're talking to another woman, like it's a good, right jealousy. Like when God sees you giving yourself to other things, he is jealous for your affections. Like that Crowder song, right? Like he yeah, is he jealous, that, right? right? So, right. Um, and so that's how I always understood it is, yeah, it's jealous, but it's a good jealousy. It's yeah. not like you understand jealousy, Jordan. It's a, it's a holy jealousy, like yeah. a holy anger, right? Like if God was to get angry, it's like a holy anger. It's not how I would get angry. Yeah. Or Jesus, when Jesus got angry. So that's how it was explained to me. And then you dropped this whole bomb yesterday. It's like, just kidding. You have been wrong. Yeah, that's zealous. For so long. Zealous is a better word. That it is actually zealous. So can you just tell me, how does, how does I mean, I'm not saying I don't believe you, Garen, because I do believe you, but how in the world does this happen? Like, how for so long, I mean, I've gone to church. I went to Bible college. Nobody told me about this zealous thing. How, does, how do we mistranslate this word for so long and get this wrong idea? Yeah, a couple of things. Because I have a friend who's a Bible translator, and we've even talked about this, among other particular things, that there are certain things that in the King James Bible, King James Version, that got so, if I can use a big word, ensconced in the English language, that translators don't want to touch it. And it's like Psalm 23. It's the Lord's Prayer. There's some other things that that language is. And he told me that this jealous is something that was in the King James and that translators have not have been afraid to touch. I just hit like two, two of them yesterday. Every, every Hebrew Bible dictionary I looked at said jealous is the inappropriate word and that it should be zealous. Hmm. And, and that's what these dictionaries are saying, but people don't, aren't going to touch that a lot of translators because in the King James, that's what it was. And it's, and it's because so many sermons have been preached on, well, let's take this word jealous and let's say, so they don't let's make it boat. holy because yeah, because they just want to take that word jealous. And if that's not even the best word, if the best word is zealous um, and zealous is a bigger word, I can have zeal for something. Jealousy would fit in it because jealousy would come out of zealousness mm. But jealousy, jealousy carries is a negative. Under the umbrella. Yeah, it's of under zealous. the umbrella. It's okay. like one of like 50 forms of zealousness. Okay. But it's a negative 
form. Okay. And so that's why all these Bible dictionaries say, don't, we shouldn't be using the negative word because people misunderstand it. It creates a wrong image of what God is like. So you're saying Bible translators know that it really should be zealous, but they don't want to rock the boat and upset people or confuse people. And so they say, you know what? Let's just keep the whole jealous word in there. Yeah, or that it's just so in the language because it's it was a prominent thing in the King James that had made it in the language of people that they're like, man, if we just change if we change that language, so they'll leave they'll leave phrases. People already think this is the word. They think it's the word. So it's how just, they know it. And yeah. so, yeah. But he was telling me, you know, when you're putting this in a language for the first time, jealous is not the word. So you're saying. Use. A good translation for Yahweh Kana is not I am jealous, but I am passionate. I am zealous. I am passionate. I am zealous. Yes. I, I have, have passion. Zeal. And the things you said God has passion for, his name, his relationship with you, and your well-being. And our well-being. He is so zealous, so passionate about those things. Yeah. Okay. I'm starting to understand. And I, once again, I don't doubt you, but it's just like a lot for me because I had never heard that before. And I had this whole framework built around this jealous word. Yes. And I had understood it a certain way. And you're saying, Jordan, that's really too small of an understanding that, yeah, that jealousy you're talking about does exist within the heart of God, but it's under this much bigger umbrella because he's actually very zealous and passionate about you. He's not just jealous. Well, I, and, I, and I wouldn't even say that. Just that word zealous, there's, there's smaller words that go underneath it, that come out of zeal. Mm-hmm. Jealous is one of them, but I would say that's not God. Zeal, he has great zeal, but the jealousy with that extra Hebrew letter added that makes it clearly jealous is only used of humans okay, and you, never used of God in the Old Testament. You talked about that yesterday. Yeah. You said, and kind of rehash that for me. So this this word in Hebrew that means zealous is written a certain way. Uh-huh. Kana. Kana. And then if it is ever jealous, like if it's not meant to be zealous, but it's meant to be jealous and it gets translated as jealous, then in the Hebrew, there's this little thing they throw added that onto preposition, it. The bait preposition on front of it that clearly identifies it as jealous. So in Proverbs, when you're reading about jealous, jealousy or envy, it's got that bait thrown on it. It clearly means in Hebrew jealous, but that, is, that form is never used of God. And so in these verses we're talking about, like Exodus 34, right? Where we see we see the, this text in English of quote unquote jealous God. It doesn't have that little thing on it. No, it doesn't. Have and that. so it should have been translated zealous God. Yeah. So how to why why originally? Yeah. Why just, do that? Well, so one thing if you read the back in the King James days, the word jealous didn't quite have the same negative meaning as it does now. It had it a little bit, but not ne- not necessarily. That's part of what I was reading is why was it even translated there back at that time. But the meaning has changed to where it only mean, has a negative connotation to us, but they've never changed it because that's one of those words in the King James that just, that God is jealous, made it into our language and translator just leave it alone. Interesting. So you also mentioned, okay, jealous in the Greek, zelos. 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 I made it more complicated than it needed to be. Zelos in the Greek. You said that there's this Greek word describing the passion of Jesus and it's not zealous, right? It's a different yeah, it's word. another word. You kind of teased us in the message a little bit. You said there's this word that describes the passion of Jesus. And I, was there more to that or was that kind of it? Yeah, I was no, curious if, if I could more. have said more, I would have. I'm, I'm really working at editing down. I need to get even better. But 
it's a really important word. It's it's uh, it's a really hard one to say. Splag, splagnizomai. Hello. <laughs> it's a tough word, but it almost sounds like you're coughing up after you're sick. I don't know. Anyways, it means a very deep, visceral gut reaction of compassion to a person's situation. It's a really strong word. And frequently when he runs into the sick or somebody needs healing or they've got a demon or he's looking out in the crowd and he said that there's, he talks about he, that the harvest is plentiful. It uses this word that he has this very deep emotional gut reaction to people's need. And it's the same thing. It comes out of his zeal that he is so zealous for us that he has deep gut level reactions to our situation. Is that similar to in his friend Lazarus dies and it's, it talks, it describes this very guttural, like deep emotional reaction he has, or, or would it be different? Yeah. Like he sees someone in need and he wants to help them. Yeah. See, so it's, it's not used there, but it, that's the same thing. That word, like his anger, that grunt right, that angry, he does. Cause it says he yeah. was angry. Right. It's those two it, angry. And he, he like grunts and that's again, that is his zeal coming out. Uh-huh. That's his passion. He is so, ticked off at what death does, at what sin does, that he yes. responds very deeply because zeal is a part of who he is, that okay. zealous love for us. So that makes sense. Yeah. So that's why so much of his reaction, what you see is his zeal enacted in his daily life all the time. So Jesus was not this felt board character that walked around <laughs> in a robe like, la, 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 yeah, la, like- la. Here's a parable. La, 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 la. Yeah. Oh, I've got to be crucified. Oh no. Uh-huh. Like he was a real man. He had real passion. Yeah. He cried real tears. He got really angry at the at the Temple. right yeah. things. That's, yes. And, and right. so uh Yeah. You watch all the Jesus films and like the dude's emotionless, right? Yeah. Just a blank face. <laughs> and it's like, dude, just, do you really care about just, what you're doing? He's just reading the Beatitudes. Like, yeah. So and it's like emotionless, yeah. Because that's to me, that's what it is, is they're portraying that emotionless God that the that I talked about, that that impassibility that, oh, God's kind of beyond emotion. And to me, that's what this name says is no, he's got a deep zeal, passion inside of him that's burning, and it comes out um in so many different ways. Okay. Can I ask you another question? You mentioned from the book of Zechariah. Um, you talked about the Lord of Heaven's armies, and I just wondered—is that the same one we studied? Was that Yahweh uh-huh. Sabaoth? Yep. When I read that translation, that was a new New Living I had chosen, and they do a great job with that. And they, yeah, they had that Lord of Heaven's armies, and that is Yahweh Sabaoth. So good job! You're starting to catch catch some of those names. Well, that's one of the cool things about knowing all these names is that you can read something, and it'll say it'll say a name of God, and you're like, oh, I bet I know what that actually yeah. uh-huh. is. Like, I bet that's El Roi, or I yeah. bet that's you know, whatever. And it's not just, you know, I don't know how to say it. It's it's not just a thing out there, but yeah. you're like, oh, that's a name of his. And that communicates this. Right. Yeah. There's depth to it. Right. So that's pretty cool. So good catch on I just that. had a question on that one. So yeah, hopefully we can catch. keep reading, all of us keep reading with those eyes of like, okay, is that a name of God? Who calls him that? And and if you've been taking notes, like, oh, well, that's actually, you know, Yahweh Sid Canoe. And yeah. To me, that's really interesting. So hopefully. And that's why yesterday when I was reading Jonah, I didn't do it in every part, but in that key chapter one, I, every time I was seeing Lord in those key parts, I would say, the I am. Oh, you worship the I am. And they became afraid. And then they called out to the I am. I'm, I'm trying. That's what a part I want to do is let us start reading, seeing these names behind these words. Because yeah. those words can, you know, Lord is a great word, but it can we can lose. Mm. Oh, this is the I am. Mm-hmm. And... So Lord loses a lot of its flavor, I think, with us. We don't really talk about Lords much. 
you know, in English. Yeah. If we do, it's like from the, our Bible lesson, but we're not just using that every day. So to yep. say like, oh, the I am, like what God really calls himself to me, that's a little bit yeah. weightier. So, but good eyes to see that. Cool. Yeah. How many spiritual points did I earn on that one? Dude, you just got, I mean, that's a lot. That's Whoa. like, you got God's smile today. Just do I get, that, he, he's like- I got, I earned God's smile today. Yeah. Do I get to, is it like at the skating rink? If you turn in so many points, you get a bracelet or something like- is yeah, what I definitely. Or like you collect my days, you collect on cereal boxes, you get enough of those <laughs> the, things the box and you tops. mail them in, <laughs> then you get a toy or something. Dude, we used to have to do that. Like now they throw toys in them. We used to have to work hard for our you toys. You had to mail in the box tops? You had to, yeah, mail those in for the, for the really special toy. Oh, wow. Oh, so you ate so many boxes of it. And then, and then yeah, like my, my uh, Dick Tracy my Dick Tracy like watch thing I got or, uh -huh. you know, code decoder thing. Okay. Dude, I had to save, I did a lot of cereal to get that. Thing. So do you ever like go through the garbage and like look through <laughs> for other people's boxes? Like it seems like there's a way around this. That's really funny. Okay. Um, you talk about spiritual idolatry and if you filled your truck up with different things, which by the way, I don't think filling your truck up with Mountain Dew would be that much cheaper than gas. Not a whole lot cheaper. I was gonna, like he should have <laughs> picked like... something else. I thought that was kind of funny. But anyways, you talked about the wrong things fueling us. And um, so God wants us to be fueled by the right things. Which is, well, fueled by him. Which is him. Yep. And not, you know, anything else basically. And so as I was sitting in my chair, I was just like, I always try and think about this through like new believer eyes or, you know, if, uh, somebody's first Sunday with us and just like, how would they see this? And I just wonder if some people were thinking like, okay, it kind of sounds like there's no room for me to love or be passionate right. about anything other than God. It seems like he's kind of an insecure God who's like, okay, love me, but nothing else. Yeah. So what would your pushback on that be? If somebody said, Garen, is God so small that like he only says I can love him? Like, what if I really love volleyball or I really love crafting or I really love whatever? Like, is there room for passion for that? Yeah. And why would he make me with all these really strong passions if he didn't want me to seek them out. So what would you say to that? Yeah, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually had that in my, what I had written and I just knew I needed to chuck some stuff. And so I, but one thing, what I was going to say was when I was, when I had kind of written that out is like, those aren't bad things. In fact, they're good things. They're good things that we should love, but they're not the ultimate thing. And God wants to point me ultimately to the ultimate thing to find my ultimate satisfaction. So that's what I would say is like, no, your kids are, they are a good thing. Your spouse is a good thing. Your girlfriend's a good thing. The Jayhawks are a good thing. Wildcats, I'm not sure. Chiefs, no. Mm, yeah, hard <laughs> no on that one. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that they're, they're good things, but they're not the ultimate thing. And he designed me ultimately for himself. And I can find ultimate satisfaction and ultimate life in him. And so he's just saying, don't love your spouse ultimately because she'll never fill you up. Right. Don't love your kids ultimately, but love, yes, love them. I mean, the scripture is full of commands. Love your wife, love your children, love your neighbor. So there's nothing wrong with loving. Paul says in Timothy, he gave us every good gift for our enjoyment. So we are to enjoy things and they're good, but they're not ultimate. And that's why he will thwart things when I make them my ultimate because he knows that I won't find my whole, my full, my well-being in that, my total flourishing. Kel Budke did a great job this last Wednesday of talking about romantic relationships to our students. And one of the things he said was that you got to realize your girlfriend, your wife, your, your whoever will never ultimately satisfy you. And if you put that weight on them, it will not work out. You will yeah. resent them. And so 
that's kind of the same thing we're talking about here with rightly ordered affections. Yeah. Can right. you talk about rightly ordered affections a little bit? Yeah, that when you, as long as you get that top affection right, your other affections will work. That if I love God ultimately and fully, that then he empowers me to love my wife and my children and my coworkers as I should. But if I put some, my wife first or a child first, they can never feel that. They're going to fail me. And that in putting that them first, it's the whole Lewis talks about when you put second things first, you not only lose the first thing, but you end up losing the second thing because if God's not empowering, you're eventually, they're going to fail you and you're going to get upset. You're going to resent them. You're going to whatever, resent. That can be a strong word that happens. The relationship will break because it's not meant to bear the weight of the ultimate. And so the way I like to think about it is that that thing cannot hold the weight of your entire hopes and dreams. And so it will crumble under it. Like, I think I used to do this a lot where I would put way too much hope into things and it would end up crushing it. Like, uh, like a trip, you know, like, Hey, I'm going on this Uh trip. It's going to be so fun. But I put all these expectations on this trip. And I just think this trip is going to fill me up and give me so much hope. And so I put all that on it. And then either something bad happens on the trip or the trip's not everything I think it should be. And, and I ended up like really not so in love with the trip because it, it couldn't bear yeah. the weight of all yep. that. And so, yes, you're right. Not only is your relationship with God suffering, but then your relationship, your passion for that thing also mm-hmm. suffers because you have placed expectations on it that it cannot hold. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's, why he, that's why he points us to himself ultimately, not because he's jealous or small mm-hmm. or... He can't handle it. It's because he designed us for himself. He longs for the relationship and that's how we work best. Yeah. Is when he's ultimate. So can I give you another pushback? Oh man. Two, three. A lot, lot of pushbacks. A lot of pushbacks. Um, you said that God is so passionate to know us that he'll do almost anything, anything short of sin was anything your word. Short of sin. To reach us, right? Um, well, here's my question. What if I'm the person who I really want my friend or my parents or someone to know you and you're telling me from the pulpit that God wants more than anything to reach them, that he will do anything to reach them. But I keep praying like, God, would you show yourself to them? Would you do this? Would you do this? And I just don't see God doing anything to draw them into himself. And I feel like God is just very lackadaisical about this whole thing. Like, well, if they believe in me, great. But if not, sorry. And I'm just like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? Because God, Garen just said, you will do anything to bring them in. And I just know if you did this one thing that it would just like, oh, throw them into awe of you and they would give their lives to you. So what do I do with that when I feel like that's not reality for me? Yeah, I totally get that. I've been there with my own parents, um, 30 some years that they didn't know Jesus. Um, So I totally get that feeling. I would just say, that feeling comes from a too great of a trust in myself and what I think will work for them and not enough trust that God knows that. How many times have I tried to force an issue with a person or I thought, oh, this is the thing. If I say this in this way, not related even God, just anything. And it never works how you think because we, we don't have insight into a person's soul, but God does and he knows what they need. And just like Lazarus, the, the rich man, he says, hey, if you send somebody back from the dead, they'll believe. And he says, no, they won't. Mm. Oh, what you point. think... We'll, we'll get them, won't get them. Yeah. God knows better. He's the one that truly loves them. He loves them more than I do. And he knows what it'll take. For my parents, it was disease for both of them. That's not what I would have asked for. But I remember after a while, I started praying, God, you do whatever it takes to get their attention. And if it's something that's not great, then I'm ready for that. But for a long time, I didn't want to pray that. For a long time, I'm like, do this and do this. And why don't you do this? Because I thought I had it figured out. But he knew. He continued to pursue them. 
and he was doing things I didn't know. Hmm. My aunt, my mom's sister became a believer and started talking to her. I never thought about that. That was not in my my plan. My plan was a miracle or zapper into believing, but he he knew what he was yeah he was doing. So that's what it is. It's just for me to not trust so much that I think I know the right way and the trust that he does care more and that he knows what he's doing with that. It's not easy. It's hard because you can't see it happening, but just, I think, trusting that. So do you think God is doing that for everyone? Do you think he is doing whatever he can to everybody and it's just people's willingness to see him? Yeah, or it's like, there. Yes. It's, like what, it's, why is everybody not yep. enthralled with God the way we are? Like, because the balls, yeah, he does what he puts a ball into play, but it's in their court, and it's up to them whether they're gonna, they're gonna, they see it, whether they return it, whatever they do with it, they could take it and trash it. Hmm. Um, so I can't take. I've got a, that human free will. That's part of the equation, and God is not gonna run over a person's free will. Did and, you say? Did you say free will? Yeah. Can you believe that? Uh oh. Is that a road we want to go down? I don't know. Did we just lose like half? That, of, half we, our last week. Last week we talked about the bleeps. Yeah. We're going to have to Oh, are we going to have to bleep that? Beep, okay. Beep. Just to, yeah, have to bleep that post bleep on that. Maybe sometime we will ask you about all that stuff, about all that. Yeah, that stuff. would be a great That'd conversation. That'd be cool, like little exclusive maybe. But that's the other thing is we have to know God is, he lets, he wants, they have to desire him. That's how he created yeah. us. Human so dignity, right? He, yeah. He won't run over that. And yeah. that's part of the equation. And he may be doing way more than I think, and people are just not responding. I think sometimes it is so easy to want to be in the driver's seat on that and say, God, I know what it would take for my mom or dad to know you. I know what this person needs. And so would you, if you just did that, it's so easy. God, why don't you do it? If you would just heal them, if you would just create this miracle, if you just do this, they would come to you. And God is sitting up there and he says, truthfully, I'm existent everywhere at all times. And I know way more than you yes. and what it's going to take. Yeah. In fact, I made this person. I yeah. know them so intimately. And so sit back. I've got it. Yep. I'm doing everything I can do. Yep. But at some point, yeah, I made people with dignity and they need to respond to me if they're going to. And that's the thing everybody in ministry has to go through. Because you so much want people to grow and follow him. And you learn really quick that you can't control anybody. Mm -hmm. And then even sometimes your ideas of what will get them don't. And that's something and everybody in ministry has to work through is like, okay, I'm, I'm not trusting my control this anymore. God, you've got it. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, but I have like the least responsibility in this thing. Yeah. So we, and we got to do that with the people we love. Yeah. Um, bold of you to put a beheading picture up there for kids Sunday. Kids that Sunday. Was, yeah. You waited for all the kids to be in there and then bang. Let's just I, show the Assyrians. Is it the Assyrians? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, show the Assyrians with heads in their hands like, dang, Garen. Yeah. Well, that hopefully was, what I was thinking is, that's why I did it pretty quick, but uh, is that most of the kids would just think they were carrying dolls around or something, you know, oh, yeah. just by the hair. That is what that's, they thought. Yeah. yeah. Maggie asked us about that. Yeah. Hey, look at that. They had those dolly heads. Yeah, you said, the, yep, you're yeah, right. Carrying the Barbie Hall's dead heads around. Like, that's that's right. cool. What? How nice they are. So anyways, thanks for that conversation at lunch. We got to sort that one out with our kids. That was awesome. Um, okay, just as we wrap up, you think you took it to Jonah. And man, Jonah is such a weird book. Is there a weirder book of the Bible than Jonah? Yeah, it's very counterintuitive. That's what I love about it. You so don't much. even feel it's like you're like, reading the Bible. Yeah. It's just like, this guy is not acting anything like a prophet. Yeah. All these characters are are just doing the opposite of what yeah, they're supposed every, to be doing. Right, everybody, it's the it's like the f- twilight zone, man. Yeah, well, it's kingdom of God to me. That's what I love about it. Is kingdom of God is upside down, and that book is very upside down. Very much. 
um, we were just thinking through kind of all the ways that people didn't do what they were supposed to do, right? Like the tough sailors, they got scared and they gave their lives to, to God right away. Like their hard hearts melted. Yeah. And the dude that's supposed to have a soft heart doesn't get scared. Exactly. He's like, just throw me in, you uh-huh. know, right? Um, there was Jonah himself, yeah, who had the hard heart. He is like this anti-Jesus figure in every way that Jesus would have acted. Jonah was the opposite. He was disobedient. He was selfish. He gave low effort. He was yeah. a complainer. like yeah. Very low effort. Like that's one thing when you study that book is his message to them is like in Hebrew, it's like 10 words. Uh-huh. And it's just like, basically you're dead in, 10, in 40 days. He didn't even care. But that, that thing took, like you said, those people that were so hardened and violent, that, that low level message he threw out, no effort that God used that to more, melt, their hearts get melted by that right. and they respond. Yeah, the Assyrian empire who you said was like ruth, the most ruthless of the ruthless. And then the capital city of that empire is where he is. And all it takes is 10 words about in 40 days, you'll be destroyed. Yeah. And he does, and he's lame about it. He doesn't even care. He yeah. Just, and, that, and the whole city goes into an uproar. It's just so bizarre. Yeah. Um, so I love that book. That's why I wanted to do a whole series yeah, on it. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. So anyways. But I love the pursuit. That What I love about that book is it's yes. about his pursuit. And we don't see it that way all the time. Yeah, that's, yeah. We think because Jonah's name on it is on it that it's about him, but it's really not about him at all. Uh-uh. It's about God's pursuit of those far from him. Yep. And just the lengths he will go to yeah. to save them. Yeah. So pretty cool. Can, can we talk just as we wrap about one thing? Maybe if people haven't really read Jonah before, they just heard the story, they're kind of like, that is so random and weird. Just at the end, when Jonah goes up on the hillside and is kind of looking at the city, he's basically waiting for God to smite it. Yeah. He wants a front row seat to the yeah. action. And then God makes, okay, so he goes up there. And at first, does he just get so hot? Yeah, hot. They, and they, an, and an east, God sends an east wind. Yeah. It's really hot. And so then, so God sends this east wind. So he's like dying up there. So then yeah. God... To, to remedy that makes this big vine grow yep. with lots of leaves to shade him, yep. which is really nice. But then- He sends a worm. God sends a worm. God commissions a worm. Imagine being that worm, the only worm ever used by God. He commissions a worm to chew through the vine and wilt. And after that happens, the sun is back on him. So Jonah wants to die. Yeah. And then, so maybe it was all- all to get Jonah to a place where he would have that conversation with God. Yeah, that he would have that and try to understand his heart. That's his zealous, passionate heart for people. Talk about that conversation because that really is kind of the most important part maybe is, is this interaction between God and Jonah. Yeah, it's where God's like, did you give any effort into that? Did you create that? Did you have anything to do with that? Talk about the vine. Yeah, the vine. Yeah. And Jonah's like, no, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. He says, then how in the world will I, the creator of 120,000 people, plus animals and everything there. How can, will I not care and have compassion for that city? Like if you, if you care so much about something you had nothing to do with, multiply that times a million and you'll get a sense of my passion and zeal. But the, and then the book ends and we don't know man, what Jonah did. We don't know. Bizarre. We don't know how he You'd responded. think that if God goes through all that effort to send the east wind, to grow the vine, to kill the vine, to have this conversation that he's leading Jonah into a place where he is going to like respond to his goodness. But you're right. We yeah. can never really And the know. last verse is, and Jonah totally got it. And he went down and hugged all the Ninevites well, you and said that's them. What, you said that's what <laughs> translators have added to make it better, right? Just like <laughs> yeah. that jealous word. So just kidding. It doesn't say that. Yeah, we, we're on a cliffhanger. We don't know. So... What do you think personally? Uh, or do you I think he eventually got it. There's even tradition that he did. 
but we just don't know. But I, th- I think he eventually got it. Mm. I think so. I don't that, know. That would be a lot of effort on God's part if he didn't get it. Can you think of anybody who's been used in that big of a way by God who didn't get it, who like in the end didn't come to know God? And Wow, that's a, I don't know. I'd have to think about that one. I think Judas, I mean, Judas played a big role. Yeah, he played a big role. And he never came around, right? right. Like, yeah. Or did he? But like, he he wept. He like regretted yeah, what regret, he did. But they would say it was that false repentance, not a real, mm-hmm. just more of a regret. Of, so yeah, it's hard to think of another like main story character like that who played a big role for God, but then yeah, didn't know him. So. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Well, hey, what about what we believe as Southern Baptists? We believe in perseverance of the believer, right? Yeah. That once you know God, that you do not fall away, right? right. So like... Does that play a role in this at all? Or? Yeah, I don't, I haven't even thought about that. You know, I think everybody pretty much thinks that he really, he was a prophet, so he probably knew God. He just didn't get his heart. And that's that's one of the things is he was very ethnocentric. If I do the series, I would show in chapter one how ethnocentric, he just, all he cares about is his own people. Uh, and he doesn't give a rip about other people. Oh. And that really bothers him. And not that we would ever be that way. No, no, uh, no, no Not no, that no. we would ever be that way. In America? But, no, never. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. So the story of Jonah ends, at, which is really not even the story of Jonah, but that story of God's pursuit of the lost kind of ends in mystery for the main character, Jonah. So the point of all this, Garen, being that Yahweh Kana is not a jealous God like we have maybe heard, but that he is a zealous God who will do whatever it takes yeah. Full to chase of zeal down and the passion lost. For his name, for us, and for our well-being. Yeah. And he'll do, yeah, whatever it takes without contravening our free will. Sure. We, I'd bleep that out in a minute, but yeah. Yeah, that he will, that he will do whatever it takes on his part. So maybe that's the, the takeaway here is like, let's continue to try and have eyes to see those things and to realize that God is chasing after us. And so, I'm not just walking through life and whatever happens, happens, but there is a creator who is chasing me, who is trying to woo me every day. You've used that language before. Show me his goodness and his beauty so that I will give myself fully yeah. to him. So to have the eyes. Let's to have see the eyes that. to see that. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Uh, next week, first May message. Yep. Are we, are we coming to the end of Names of God? We've got we st- Four, five, actually five left. Five four left, in okay. May, and then June's going to top oh, it off. Wow. Okay. First week of June. So five different names. Five different ones. Yeah. Oh, okay. Next one, pretty cool. It's uh, pretty cool, and it's the hardest one for me to live into. So I'm doing better. Whoa. But this series has actually helped me with it. But it's the one that, and I've talked to several people, and they're like, I really struggle with that. Not the name, but they struggle with what this name's going to talk about. Um, struggle to say the name because it's hard. Uh, not just the the issue that's related to it. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, it's actually the easiest to say. It'll be the easiest to say for everybody. But Whoa, it's to live into to it. Say, hardest to live into. Hardest to live into. Is that going to be part of your message? Is that part of oh, your intro? Definitely. Is oh, definitely. No, but I should. You should. I should do that. Yep. That's how I'll intro it. That's easiest good. to that's say, the hardest to live intro. Yeah. Into, yeah. That's the hook. Cool. Well, 12th, Yahweh Kana is passionately chasing after you. So that is who uh, he is. He's chasing you. And so may we have eyes this week to see that and live with passion for him as well. That's what we got. We'll see you guys later.